Abnormalities. Abnormalities. Ab- abnorm. <laughs> Chromosomal abnormalities. Chromosomal abnormalities. Can you ask the question? You're putting me? an N in there, too. Can you, ju- Chrom- can you just ask the question? No, it's funny the way you read it. Chromosomal. 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 Abnormality. There you go. Now say it three times fast. Chromosomal. I thought there was an N at the end. Mm Mm-mm. Ah, chromosomal. Did you do this on purpose? (laughs) No. Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. That's Kayla. And that's Sarah. And we just got off the phone with Dr. Laura Shaheen. Dr. Laura Shaheen. The Shaheen machine. (laughs) She's a reproductive endocrinologist and we're just like, Sarah and I are on a high. We had so much fun talking to her. Uh, And you guys are going to love this interview. Sarah, I think we should definitely make this a two-parter. I'll cut this because it's so long. <laughs> so okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been recording almost two know, hours. Right. So, so this um, we what we thought would just kind of be an, a normal interview took lots of fun turns, and so this is definitely going to be a two-part episode. Um, and I can't wait for you to hear from her. So I'm going to get out of the way. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about her and then, and then we'll play the interview for you guys. So Dr. Shaheen is a board certified reproductive endocrinologist currently practicing at Pacific Northwest Fertility and IVF specialists in Seattle, Washington. Um, she's also the director of the center for recurrent pregnancy loss at Pacific Northwest Fertility. She's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and other blogs and has... Oh, my god! I know. What? Celebrity. And she mm. has authored two books. In 2015, she co-authored Planting the Seeds of Pregnancy, an Integrative Approach to Fertility Care. And in 2017, she published Not Broken, an Approachable Guide to Miscarriage and Recurrent Pregnancy Loss. And she has a killer social media game. She's You can find her in all the places, Instagram, Twitter. Um, she's amazing. Like our Instagram, her Instagram post that I reposted of her in a pineapple suit. I mean, I'm like. And you, you'll find out that she does it all herself. It's her. It's, it's not a team. No, it's all her. I thought it was a team. <laughs> it's all her. I was just like, you know what? An RE that shows up to work in a pineapple suit is someone I need to be friends with. And so do you. <laughs> I think we'd be friends with her in like real I life. I think we are friends with her now. <gasps> we are friends, right? <laughs> do you have anything else you right, wanna? Right, Laura? <laughs> She's like, right? <laughs> Laura? <She hung. laughs> Can I call you Laura? Check, check. Uh, I think she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's gone. She ran away screaming. <laughs> I've never talked. No, it was a really fun interview. It was, yeah. So enjoy um, hearing from Dr. Laura Shaheen. I want to say thank you again now that we are recording. We've just been talking to Dr. Shaheen, and um, you, you just heard us give 
her an intro and I just want to thank her now that I'm speaking to you. Thank you again for coming on the podcast and talking to us and to all our listeners. We really appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I am really excited to be here. I have a question. Am I the first RE that you guys are interviewing? Because I looked through. Yes. You are popping our cherry, girl. I am so (laughs) excited. That is a true (laughs) honor because you guys are awesome. Oh, Oh, thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I will say we... I. We were almost afraid to talk to an RE. <laughs> um, just, I, I think of like RE's A, like not taking us serious, or B, <laughs> just like worried about people like us that could potentially be. Um, I mean, we always say we're not doctors and we're not here to like educate people on anything, but at the same time, we also know the struggle that you probably have of people that like use Dr. Google or say, I heard this on the Infertile Mafia, so that must apply to me, <laughs> you know? So thank you for like validating <laughs> what we're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, what did you say on your first podcast? I have a PhD in infertility, <laughs> you know, struggle. We have PhDs in that area. That is true. Perfect. <laughs> So before we um, get into some questions for you, I first wanted to show you some love from some listeners because when we told people we were talking to you, we had a few people that specifically were very excited that it was you. And so I want to tell you why. Yeah. So the first one was from Blair um, and she says, Dr. Shaheen is part of the reason we initially chose to go to Pacific Northwest Fertility. We saw her on the local news station participating in a week's worth of segments highlighting infertility. She participates in so many awareness activities, and I am thrilled to see that she will be on the podcast. Can't wait. So wow. that's from Blair. Thank you. <laughs> Do you know her? Oh, <laughs> HIPAA, HIPAA. Oh, HIPAA. Sorry, you can't answer that. <laughs> and Heather said... Um, the author of Not Broken, her book saved my life while struggling with recurrent pregnancy loss. And uh, she has a question that I'm going to get to later, but I wanted to let you know that that has to feel really good and you should feel good about it. Because Chills. That's wow. And thank yeah. you. That, I will, I, that really moves me. Thank you so much. Okay. So let's get into it. First, can you tell us I think pretty much everyone that's listening is familiar with, you know, what an RE is. Sure. So tell us instead about your background and maybe why you chose to become a reproductive endocrinologist. Great. Um, so it takes uh, medical school and then you do a residency, which is a four-year kind of post-medical school training in obstetrics and gynecology. Um, so I delivered a lot of babies and then um, really got very interested in infertility. I was interested in the technology of it and the emotional aspect of it. And it really, um, you have to apply for it. It's a fellowship beyond residency. So it's a three-year fellowship. I did my residency at UCSF in San Francisco and then the fellowship at Stanford. And um, just really interested in all aspects. I kind of knew going into the field that I would never stop learning. I mean, I think that's true in all aspects of medicine, but just the field is changing so quickly. I was just really excited about it. I know that you specialize in recurrent pregnancy loss. Mm -hmm. And um, first of all, as someone who had a miscarriage twice, um, Mm. you don't know what it means to have a doctor that 
you know, is putting so much time and energy into trying to get to the bottom of that because so many of us have suffered that way. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it takes people like you to help us, you know, move forward from that and prevent that from happening in the future, hopefully. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. It's such a difficult topic because, as you know, with with miscarriages there's just still so much that's unknown absolutely you know um and the why is so hard for people why did this happen so what um what is it about recurrent pregnancy loss that you know why did you decide to specialize in that area sure so when i was doing my fellowship at stanford um my mentor and she's still there dr ruth lati was opening up a center for recurrent pregnancy loss at stanford So this was, I mean, this is like 10, 15 years ago. Um, And I was really in the right place at the right time and learned a lot from her collaborative approach to care, you know, monthly meetings with gastroenterologists and immunologists and basic science researchers. And, you know, medicine is just changing so fast. You can't keep up with every single aspect. And um, recurrent loss, as you know, there's still so much to learn and having a collaborative approach is really important. And so when I started my practice in Seattle, it was not my intent to focus on recurrent loss, but I just kept seeing patient after patient that um, uh, had this issue, and there really wasn't anybody in the Pacific Northwest that was really focused on it. Again, this is about 10 years ago. And, um, And so I made a conscious decision and opened up a center for recurrent pregnancy loss at my practice, which is Pacific Northwest Fertility. And um, with very humble approach, not saying that I have all the answers, but just saying that um, that I am interested in finding them and wanting to provide care for these patients. Which is, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of that, um, you know, specific like practices that are dedicated to recurrent pregnancy loss. So that is incredible that you're providing that for people. I think that's, you know, it's really great. Thank you. Um, Do you get a lot of people traveling to see you for the recurrent pregnancy loss? So honestly, not really. What I'm trying to do is educate providers around the country to provide the same care that I do. Because what I've found is that um, recurrent pregnancy loss is not just a one-time visit. It's not just a one-time evaluation. Um, It's ongoing, and it's finding a provider that's going to help you through each pregnancy and you you just can't do that over the phone um so i can you know really help people but it's really connecting them with other providers that can help them on a more personal basis and um and it's hard to find those providers you know it's um uh It's not a very comfortable place to be as a physician when you don't always have the answers. You know, you go into medicine to help people and fix people, and it's really nice if you can diagnose high blood pressure, give somebody a pill, and then see them a month later and say, oh, look, I fixed you. Um, Whereas with recurrent loss, most of the time we don't find an answer. Most of the time I don't find something that I can fix. Um, we definitely have treatment options, but, um, but a lot of it is support and um, helping people build the resilience to keep trying in, in different ways and kind of going through options. 
Switching gears a little bit, what are some of the most common misconceptions about fertility treatments you encounter from other people? Yeah, so many. Um, I could start with, um, you know, uh, IVF will fix everything. Like, oh, oh, it's okay. I can wait. I'll just do IVF. Or, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm even though I might be a certain age on my driver's license, I'm extremely healthy. And, you know, if if I can't conceive naturally, I can just do IVF. And really having t- difficult conversations with people, kind of like this is what we can do with fertility treatment, and this is what we can't. I think there's a real misconception, and that kind of comes from. Just society and sort of um, it wanting to work and you seeing these celebrities on the cover of magazines in the grocery aisle at 50 having twins and, you know, all it <laughs> says is that they, they did IVF or they don't really kind of talk about, you know, how Why? long it took to kind of get to that point, right? Yeah. So are you a proponent of egg freezing in that same vein or? Yeah, I think, think I think starting- it's a... I think it's an amazing and empowering choice and option um, with excellent counseling. Um, I think <laughs> that um, egg freezing is an opportunity and it's a, um, an option, but it is certainly not a guarantee of a baby in the future. And I do worry um, that some people are... Um, overly confident in what they have in the freezer and I'm you know if it's not successful in the future that's that's makes me nervous as a provider if they come back to use their eggs and it's not successful it certainly could be and most of the time it will be successful but I just think they have to be counseled very very well I like that answer yeah (laughs) Sarah has been has been open that she yeah is basically what you just said like there there seems to be this misconception that oh I'll just freeze my eggs and everything will be fine when in reality well this is a good question for you um if you know if all things being equal there's probably a better success rate with freezing embryos than eggs right I we have more um data we've been freezing embryos for almost as long as we've been doing IVF so you know, 30, 35 years of, of embryo freezing. Um, and egg freezing is relatively new and it's much more technically challenging than freezing embryos. So really? Yes. Yeah. People are very (laughs) flippant about it and they're just kind of like, Oh yeah, I'm I'm just going to freeze my eggs. But you have to be very, very careful where you are freezing your eggs. Oh, Um, tell us more. As in the center or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, the IVF lab is a huge deal, and I'm very humble. I say to you know, I can be the best doctor in the world, but if I don't have the IVF lab that I have, I wouldn't be able to give you the success rates that I give you. Yeah, we've said before that those embryologists are like the unsung heroes of the of the Absolutely. IVF world because <laughs> they don't Absolutely. really get a lot of the cred, but they play a really big important part. No, what do you think doubt. about? Uh, the new, uh, the the new thing coming out about taking a biopsy of your ovary and freezing it. I know that they're not really doing this yet, but do you think that it's going to move in that direction? I think that would be awesome. Um, I, you know, we were doing that at Stanford uh, fifteen plus years ago. So, um, but that doesn't mean that 
there have been babies from it, but the concept has been there for a long time. It's just the technology has to catch up to be able to, you know, get the eggs that are in that ovarian tissue to mature, you know? Yeah. And even if the eggs don't actually, the eggs, the egg thing doesn't work out, does it push back menopause? Like, I, that's what I read about it. People, <laughs> obviously, I have no idea what's going on. I know. But... I'm like, wow, that sounds amazing, right? Like, when it's it does. Yeah. too good to be true, you're like, wait, what? Um, so I guess what you're, well, I mean, I guess what you're trying to say is freeze ovarian tissue so that, you know, then, you, you know, later, just like you would freeze eggs, you could use them later to have a, a baby, I guess, is that what the headline is trying to? Um, the headline is saying that they take that tissue out and then they put it, they surgically put it back in on the ovary, and then it makes the body still like ovulate. you're like you're still oh, twenty five or sure. something. Uh, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So there have definitely been ovarian um, like transplants, like especially for patients that are undergoing cancer treatments. So there's been really cool things where a, a young woman is getting ready to do cancer treatment. It's gonna, um, she's going to have chemotherapy and radiation. So they'll take um, the ovary or ovarian tissue out, freeze it, and then implant it back either near her ovary and the pelvis, or they've implanted ovarian tissue under the arm. And Whoa. Then, yeah. And then, you know, you, you, you can watch it ovulate. Uh, oh my like god! With an cool. ultrasound, Ooh. and then get the eggs. I know it's like sci-fi. It totally, it, it totally is. Totally is really cool. Science really cool. is so cool. <laughs> Science is really, really cool. What is the best and worst thing about being an RE? Oh yes. Well, um, it is definitely not a boring job. It is a job of very high highs and very low lows. And um, I think the best part is at the end of the day, I realized that I am really helping people build families and build dreams. And it's incredible. Um, and when I get those you know, birth announcements and holiday cards, it just absolutely makes my day. Um, the hardest part is that I can't always see that dream come true. Um, and I do really say to myself over and over again, you know, even if I can't give somebody a baby, which is not really me doing it, but it's just kind of what I say in my head, I can still give them good care and compassionate care. And so that's my goal, not necessarily the, the end goal. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> <laughs> Someone cutting onions in here. Oh, <laughs> you guys. No, really. <laughs> that, yeah. Thank you for saying oh, that. Yeah. Because. <laughs> Are you crying? No, I really am. You're actually yeah, crying. I'm actually crying. <laughs> but I mean, I cry really easily. But. It's okay. No, that was I just really touching. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it, it is Aww. because. Um, you know, we just did a, an episode about people changing doctors and changing clinics, and we were a little worried. We were not, we weren't trying to th throw shade on REs, but 
that one of the most common themes was like, I didn't feel heard. I didn't feel like they cared about me. And so to hear you say that is I know that it's therapeutic for people listening to hear a doctor say, like, even if I can't do this for you, I'm going to take good care of you. It just feels like a warm hug. So oh, thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet, Kayla, that you're crying. Yeah, well, you know. If I could cry, I would cry too. <laughs> if I wasn't stone inside. No, <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. Uh, well, speaking of support, I know you have a strong Instagram and social media game. <laughs> and so. <laughs> yeah, like, holy crap. Yeah, you, <laughs> you guys are killing it. There's so many other REs out there that are that are doing it too, which is. To, to me, kind of a new phenomenon. I don't really think that was happening when I was going through, um, you know, fertility treatments. And you all seem so supportive of each other, which I think is such a great thing to project to the community that, like, we're all in this together. We love you, you, you know. Yes. And so it's really, in some ways, changed the game between the patient-doctor relationship. It almost levels the playing field when we're out there talking in social media together. So... Tell me about maybe the importance of finding positive support, both for yourself as a doctor who specializes Mm -hmm. in reproductive medicine, but also for men and women out there struggling with infertility. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I will say that I sort of started in the social media, um, just as an experiment and just to sort of really see what it's about, um, kind of connecting with other people. And, um, and I, I really did start doing it to kind of get the word out about my book. Um, because I thought Mm -hmm. that might be a great way to get the word out about it. And then it's really turned into a wonderful way to connect with other people. And, um, not only fertility, um, patients, people like you, you know, fertility advocates and, um, and then other doctors. And that has been really, really fun to connect with doctors, not only in the United States, but all over the world. And, um, you know, that share a passion with connecting with people and getting a good positive message out there to patients. And so for me, it's been a creative outlet. Um, it's kind of fun to experiment and, uh, and then truly a way to connect with other people. And then another thing that I've been thinking about lately is, um, you know, it's really been a way to um, own my presence on the internet. Um, It feels, you know, when reviews of doctors first started coming out, um, it was a very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable place to be as a physician because we're like, hey, we went into medicine to help people and we're trying to heal people every day. And then you have patients going online and saying, you know, I, you know, I don't like this person for whatever reason or giving like a one star review because, you know, the front desk person wasn't super friendly, you know, anyway. And so yeah. um, I have found... Hey, we know what one star reviews feel like. Yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, and so kind of having my own, it's like, hey, I can I can project, you know, my thoughts and put a positive um, outlook out there. And I, uh, you know, the reviews, I don't know, they just don't they don't impact me as much anymore. So that feels empowering and kind of good too. So that's something I've been thinking about. Well, and it just it makes humanizes you. Like you. A, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. It makes you seem like a real person instead of just. Like a doctor, see, yeah. doctors seem like 
a different gods and yeah mm. you know <laughs> uh yeah yeah but you're just a real person too yeah, right exactly that's great i'm and i'm just it's encouraging to see this like kind of support system that you've created you know for each other it's i think it's so great that you guys seem so you're always like lifting each other up and high-fiving and lots of good positive girl power happening absolutely (laughs) i i really do enjoy that part for sure helping each other my my re it seems like he's trying to get into social media but (laughs) Well, and you're maybe. like, oh, that's Connect us. Yeah, I'll help him. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if it's actually him or someone in his office helping, well, pushing see, him. <laughs> that's the thing. And I, I think you really can see through that pretty darn quickly if you're following someone. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, my mentor when it comes to this is really Natalie Crawford. I'm sure you guys follow her. Yeah. So, yes. um, you know, she talks a lot about that it just has to be genuine and it's about interacting. It's not about just putting pictures out there and sort of, um, you know, impersonal posts. And it's not like, you know, you don't have to be personal, but it's just all about interacting and connecting with people. It's not about just putting posts out. Right. But yeah. so you can tell if it's like an office person right. putting a post out. That's why I meant what I said when I said, you know, any doctor that shows up to work in a pineapple suit, <laughs> I am really okay with. <laughs> that was so funny because I, I posted it. I was like, oh my gosh, I did say they could use any photo from Instagram. I guess I should have thought a little bit, but I loved it. I thought it was hilarious because yeah. I did. I, I wore a pineapple because it was, it was Halloween and, you know. Of course. Oh. How could you? I mean, that's an obvious choice and it's a great choice. It's <laughs> fun. We had some. Do pineapples really have those healing powers, or the bro- what is bromelain? it? Sure. Bromelain. bromelain. Yeah. So that's bromelain. the deal. So the thought is, is that the bromelain in the core of the pineapple, it does have anti-inflammatory um, properties, and so the thought is, if you eat that during the implantation phase, you'll have a higher chance of the embryo implanting. So that is the theory. Um, I d- it is definitely not proven, but then that's kind of turned the pineapple into sort of a fertility advocate symbol. Right. And it really does in lots of different cultures. It's about welcoming and um, happiness and um, like it has, it just always has a really positive, you know, connotation, the pineapple. Swingers. There's swingers. Oh dear. No <laughs> way. Are you serious? Yeah, but I don't know if that's true. Oh. We share the symbol with the swingers, <laughs> and you should tell you I, should tell I, IVF Babel that because you know their cute little you know um, pineapple pen with two little pineapples. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh huh. Oh dear. Yep. Oh dear. Oh. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> I wear that every really day. Really be a good. <laughs> oh swinger no. Thing. I you need four pineapples. <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> Well, there he goes. Now now you have your symbol, the symbol for, you know, the infertility mafia. Four little pineapples, right? right? You got it. (laughs) Mixing it up in there. You're welcome. We're not not swingers. (laughs) Sarah and I did a whole segment on this in one of the shows about how she listed off all these things that identify swingers. And it was like everything she had in her yard so we had a, yeah. we had a good laugh like a gnome <laughs> a hot tub 
Yeah. I am yeah. learning so much from you guys. And you thought you were going <laughs> to learn a lot from me. I am. Well, you thank know. you. You're welcome. You teach You're us welcome. about egg freezing. We'll teach you about swingers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, but I said my theory is that we own the pineapple. The infertility community owns the pineapple because one in eight. That's a lot more people. I think Definitely. there's more infertile people than swingers in the world. I'm maybe. I, agree. I don't know. I'm with you. Yes, <laughs> you can quote Doctor yeah, Shaheen on probably. that. Probably. There we go. There you go. If Doctor Shaheen says it, it must be true. There we go. So, what is something that you wish we, the patient, knew about you, the doctor, and really all REs? And you kind of touched on some things already, but anything else, maybe? Yeah, I think um, I think just really realizing that we um, we are people too, um, and that we really do want the best for you. And I think that when I don't oh, know, I'm going to cry again. No, no, I. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. When I sometimes, you know, patients reach out to me or um, on social media, people um, say, oh, my doctor said this, like, um, oh, my AMH is 0.1, so I have to do donor egg, or, um, uh, you know, uh, I've had so many miscarriages that, you know, I have to use a carrier, or um, I... I had a biochemical miscarriage, which means, you know, a, a low pregnancy test and then, you know, a period just a couple of days late. And my doctor said, oh, it's just, a, it's not even a real miscarriage. Or just all these things that um, I can definitely see doctors saying. And when you are in the middle of grieving and you're taking it, you can take things out of context. Um, and I think how you deliver, I could say the same thing. Like I could say, hey, we don't really find a reason why you're having multiple miscarriages. Um, but I really believe every pregnancy is a new opportunity. And I really do believe in your body and that you can do this. And I encourage you to try again. I can say it that way. Whereas another doctor might just say, oh, just keep trying. Um, and so um, I just hope that people would just give most doctors the benefit of the doubt that if they leave you not feeling comforted, it's not on purpose and that they really do have your best interest at heart. Yeah, because you're almost like our therapist, too, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure they didn't train you on that in medical school, right? You are absolutely <laughs> right. Yes. How to deal with hysterical, emotional, hormone pumped full of hormones and just like crazy infertility patients. I'm guessing a lot of doctors are pretty straightforward type of people. Would you say that? Depends on the person. Yeah, it depends on the person, of course, but to get into like a science profession. Right. It seems like you have to have a certain personality. Right. Like engineers, they have a certain personality usually. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I'm just guessing doctors do too. So they don't like process emotions the same way. And they might say something that would make them feel better. Well, and they're, they're an emotional person to get into medicine. It, it's very much like passing tests and succeeding, you know, in certain ways. And um, I do believe medical school is getting better about empathy training and thinking about the patient as a whole person. But it was not the case when, when I was training, and there's a whole generation of doctors out there that just, um, you know, ha- haven't been trained that way. And 
and I talk to my colleagues and I, and I really do think that that patients have changed too and they want more of an conversation and um, to participate in the decision making and you know are being advocates for their own care and, and doing information gathering on you know the internet and um, and you can look at that in two ways like it um, it can be very intimidating as a doctor to have somebody come in with a stack of you know research papers um, <laughs> Or you could just say, hey, you know, I understand that you're trying to find this answer too, and um, we're in this together. And, you know, um, it's not that I'm not aware of the papers, but, you know, let's interpret them, you know, together. And please don't re- believe everything you read on the internet. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Speaking of, Sarah <laughs> and I don't agree on this topic. Cool. <laughs> she, uh, I'd like to get your opinion. Baby Center. Oh, yeah. I think it's like the Wild West because I think... I think there's good information on there. I think I... Yeah, that's where we disagree. I, maybe I just had like a bad slant with it, but I just found it to be like the Wild West. And I like hearing other people's experiences. Yeah, I just... Yeah, here we go again. It's it's like deja vu. I just... I think it's... it it's dangerous when you have the patient that then says, well, this was true for her, so it must be true for me, or why isn't it true for me? And you get into the comparison game. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, so... And not good for you either (laughs) as the doctor. Right. So I I haven't been on Baby Center in a long long time, so I'm not sure. It sounds like you're kind of talking about not necessarily the information pages, but sort of like the chat room aspect of it where the people chat, yes. yes yeah um, and I just threw baby center out there I don't want to I'm don't want to disparage baby center it's more it's just all it's just any kind of chat room oh so absolutely yeah yeah so I and 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 this is a tough part of my job especially as a recurrent miscarriage specialist is yeah. there are um so many um opinions and um I do believe that people are trying to help. And so they put out, um, hey, you know, I had miscarriages and then I ate pepperoni pizza every day for (laughs) my first, you know, six weeks in pregnancy and I did not have a miscarriage. Therefore, everybody should eat pepperoni pizza. And in their heart, they're trying to help and Fertility patients, miscarriage patients are so vulnerable. You know, everybody, you know, wants that answer. It's so painful to keep having a period each month when you don't want it or to have a positive pregnancy test that you aren't sure is going to result in a baby. And you just want to find something like a pill you can take or a diet that you can do just to take this, you know, frustration and, and, and agony away that you're just searching for that answer. And, um, I guess that's another answer to your question for REs. You know, if we had a magic diet or magic supplement, you know, it's not like we're withholding information. Like we would absolutely tell you. And I definitely feel like there's this like us versus them sometimes with patients versus doctors, like, Um, And so I think when the chat rooms start to get to be really negative, you know, and sort of pushing towards, oh, well, your doctor isn't telling you this, you know, you should do Mm -hmm. this test. Your doctor 
doesn't realize how amazing pineapple is in the, the luteal phase when it starts to become negative and less more about like, hey, why don't you ask this Support. question? Why don't you have this conversation? Why don't you explore this? Um, I think there should be a better balance there. That's a good answer. Yeah, I don't go into there looking for solutions. I know, I know. I just, I go in like, <laughs> say you're pregnant and you have a bunch of extra fluid, you know. Yeah. I like that. I'd go in, I'd Google fluid at 27 centimeters and then go into there and see what other people's experiences were like when they had their fluid at 27 centimeters and what happened. Yeah. I trust your judgment though. And the, I'm thinking about the person Dr. Shaheen's talking about that's really vulnerable and that is going to read something and then, uh, you know, it, it's not helpful to them it, or could even potentially be dangerous. I just think about that person when it comes to chat rooms. Cause yeah, I don't take advice from people. I just like <laughs> look up numbers. Like I think a, a guideline that I talk to my patients about is um, um, really listening to their, uh, for lack of a better term, just kind of their spidey sense. Like if you're online and you're looking through stuff and you can feel feel your blood pressure increasing, you can feel your heart rate going up, you're starting to really kind of feel that anxiety going, just like turn it off, right? Like if it's oh, like yeah. helpful information and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Okay, I'm going to write down these questions and, you know, call the clinic or talk to my provider about it. Like that's positive when it's like two o'clock in the morning and you're just reading like, you know, chat room after chat room um, and it's really getting to be negative, I think maybe that might be a good sign to kind of turn it off for a little while. Because um, I, like, I remember when I was pregnant and reading some of these um, you know, pregnancy books, and I was an OB, and I, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm having a little pain in my belly, and apparently you know, <laughs> I could be dying. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just think like, information is really powerful and great, but just read everything with a grain of salt and definitely um, ask questions. How's that? That's a great answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. I mean, the last episode, I diagnosed myself with endo. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your opinion on IUIs? Are they a waste of time and money, or are they (laughs) worth a try before moving to IVF? Totally depends on the patient and the situation, and there is no one answer for every patient. Um, I... Uh, traditionally, low-tech treatment is a, st- is a stepping stone. Uh, it's so much uh, um, less invasive, easier to do, um, less costly than IVF. So most people, if they have kind of unexplained infertility, will try IUIs first. But, um, you know, they really don't have an extremely high success rate. So we sort of come up with a long-term plan. And usually people will do about three or four. And if that's not successful, they move on to IVF. Um, a reason for people to go straight to IVF would be if their fallopian tubes are blocked, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, you're familiar with that. And uh, yes. that is why IVF was invented, IVF was invented 40 years ago as a way to bypass fallopian tubes. So instead of fertilization happening in the tube, you get the eggs out of the body and in the lab, you get the sperm in the lab, and it's in vitro in the lab fertilization. And then you've got the embryo and you, it doesn't come back into the uterus through the tube. It goes through the cervix, which is like a different door, right? 
Um, what do you think of that? Uh, what is it called where they put the egg and sperm in the vaginal oh, canal? Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, the, like the InvoCell? Yes. Yeah. InvoCell. So I haven't um, used that. I think it's very interesting to find and exciting to experiment with ways that can increase access to care. So okay. um, I think that might be, uh, you know, uh, I think it, it's designed to maybe be used in places where they don't have access to an IVF lab, you know, like third world countries. And yeah. what an amazing way to that's help. That's funny because that's what my RE said. He said that's what they do in third world countries. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, it's, I think it's cool. Um, I, and I love innovation. And, you know, that is wonderful. And it might lead to even more innovation in the field. Um, another reason somebody might skip IUIs and go straight to IVF is um, extremely poor sperm parameters. You know, you do you have to have a good amount of moving sperm to even have success with a intrauterine insemination. Um, and then a third reason that people sometimes go straight to IVF is you really can use IVF as a form of fertility preservation. So okay. if you are starting your family later in life and your family goal is to have more than one child, you might consider doing IVF sooner, not only to conceive now, but um, as a way to uh, freeze embryos for the future. That's a do you base way. that on, sorry, That's do you okay. base that on age or do you base that on tests mostly? Um, it's all in a discussion with the, with mm-hmm. the patient. So a typical patient, maybe some, you know, a couple is coming to me in their forties and they, um, they're like, Hey, we want to have two kids. And, um, you know, if a, a couple is in their forties, the chance of success with an IUI is going to be, you know, in the single digits, like 5%, maybe depending on lots of different parameters. And so it might make sense for that couple to do IVF, you know, from the start. However, you know, if they, if they only want one child or they have ethical issues with creating embryos that they might not use, then maybe they would start with IUI um, because it, it could always be successful. So it's a very personal conversation for each couple. Right. So you're saying that it's like, like if you came to you and you're 35, let's say, and you want to have at least three kids, it's better to do the stimming and the egg retrieval now when you're 35 than to do an IUI and then you wait two years and try it now you're 37 and you wait two years and now you're 39, right? It's right. gonna, like, that's what you mean by fertility preservation? I, right. Okay, okay. Right. Well, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I, thanks for all that info on IUI. I've, <laughs> we, even people in our own Facebook group are, <laughs> they always talk about how we hate IUIs, which we don't. We just we just joke that it's that it's like a unicorn the person that because the success rates are low but um, so now it's kind of a joke they're like hopefully yeah. I'm a unicorn right we're posting oh, unicorn pictures <laughs> yeah. which is, awesome. I hope a lot of people are unicorns me too then they don't have to go on and do a IVF and they just yes we don't want them to be as rare as they are so yeah yes yeah. yes yeah. Uh, the most common reason. Uh, cited for miscarriage is chromosomal ab... Wow. <laughs> Let me start that over. 
The most common reason for miscarriage is cited as chromosomal ab- abnormalities. <laughs> Abnormal, whatever, you know what I'm trying it's to say. It's early. It's okay. So <laughs> it's kind of early for us. Uh, so what advice do you give to women who have had a miscarriage or even more than one with PGS, PGD tested embryos? All right, so that was part one of our interview with Dr. Laura Shaheen, and I'm sure you're on the edge of your seat. That was amazing, wasn't it? We told you she was amazing. It was. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was riveted because I can't wait for the answer to that question. What's she going to say? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question, though. So tune in next week for part two of our interview with her. And in the meantime, you can join our closed Facebook groups called the Infertile Mafia and the Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies for post-fertility or while you're uh, pregnant, or you're adopting, um, anything that's happening after fertility treatments. You can follow us on Instagram at Infertile Mafia Podcast. Feel free to send us an email to infertilemafia at gmail.com. And don't forget, as always, to subscribe to the podcast to keep hearing more talk about eggs and balls and stuff and the occasional RE on the show. What? Yeah. So thanks again, Dr. Shaheen. And uh, you'll be hearing part two very soon. Thanks for joining the Infertile Mafia. Bye. Bye.